HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, I'm Kathy Array, the host of Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio. You're listening to a bonus episode taped live at the Food Book Fair. The Food Book Fair took place May 1st and May 2nd at the White Hotel, and it was the fifth annual event of its kind. Uh, it was a great event. We were thrilled to have so many amazing panelists, and I was really thrilled to be able to moderate a panel. Um, the panel was called Food and Fiction, and we recorded the whole thing so you can listen now. Today, we wanted to explore the role of food in fiction, um, how food can convey, um, you know, help convey characters or set mood, create tension, and other, explore other greater truths when used in the hands of a very capable and talented writer, like the folks right here beside me. Um, just to back up a little bit, um, it's easy to kind of like live in a food bubble, if, you, if many of you do, because I do. Um, but generally speaking, I think, um, and maybe you guys will prove me wrong, I, I think that uh, food is seldom in the spotlight when it comes to literature, just going back through the ages. Um, you know, even sometimes, like, the history of food and food preparation is pretty hazy in the Western world, um, history and so forth. I mean, we know from anthropolo- anthropological evidence a bit about what people ate, but... Um, people didn't generally record too much about food and what they were eating. Um, they were much more keen to write about wars and love and kings and gods rather than what they ate for dinner last night, right? So, um, you know, but everybody eats. It's a unifying thing. And I wanted to talk about, you know, how people are doing that today and, um, yeah, what it all represents. So, um I got to say, like, in the last couple of years, um, I've been a host on Heritage Radio Network, and my show is called Eat Your Words, so I generally get pitched a lot of books um, about food. And in the last couple of years, I have seen more and more fiction come up, and I'm like, huh, what's going on with that? What's up with that? So um, a lot of, like, foodie fiction tends to gravitate towards, um, uh, I don't know, there's, there seems to be a new sort of genre 
evolving around this trend. I don't think that any of your books necessarily have to neatly fit into that. And because these authors' books are so new, I just wanted to kind of briefly introduce them. Uh, One Sweet Bitter is a character-driven coming-of-age novel about a young woman who comes to New York City with lofty appetites, only to find herself at the heart of a cosmopolitan dichotomy, working as a backwaiter at one of the finest restaurants in town. Stephanie, in the center there. Um, Another is called American Housewife by Helen, and it's a collection of stories that serve as a sharp, hilarious, and often shocking satire about life as a housewife. And the other, Food Whore, is a page-turning novel that follows a young writer who is suddenly thrust into the glamorous world of five-star restaurants and celebrity chefs, but also a media scandal and moral dilemma. All right. So, ladies, um, just to start off, um, are there any depictions of food or scenes in literature that jump out at you um, for what they revealed about food and, and something else in the story? Who wants to start? Helen? I'll start. Uh, last year, a fantastic book was published. It's called The uh, Kitchens of the Great Midwest. J. Ryan Stradell. Uh, yes, and it has probably one of the best revenge scenes I have ever read involving uh, hot peppers and brownies and a school bus. <laughs> and uh, so that, to me, was one of the... Uh, I'm not going to tell you more. You have to read it. Um, but the girl who bakes, who bakes it is the center of the book, and it's about her life becoming one of the most fantastic chefs in the country. And, so, and the whole book has recipes in it that push the plot. There's the big peanut butter bar bake-off situation that <laughs> is uh, worthy of a read. There you go. Awesome. Uh, Stephanie? Yeah. Um, uh, that's such a great question because I read so much literature about food, like most of us here, but rarely in fiction. I can identify, like, incredible food scenes, something like Proust Madeline, or we were talking about the bell jar with the caviar and the avocados and the crab salad, but rarely is food, like, the essential mode for telling the story. Um, When I was writing Sweet Bitter, I felt like there was a ton of freedom there, because it hadn't really been done in that way before, but I did keep two poems very close to me while I was working. Um, One is Oysters by Seamus Heaney, and the other is Untitled by Frank O'Hara, and it's the one that begins um, light clarity avocado salad in the morning, and the why I kept those poems there is that food is the entry into like being present. It's the moment of transformation. And I wanted to remember that every time I was writing about food, that it wasn't just a detail and it wasn't just a character tick. It was actually an essential way of getting into the moment. Um, Yeah, those two poems are fantastic. Everyone should read them. Um, Excellent. Um, So for me, it's kind of cliche and it's actually not a work of fiction, but I was always really struck by a passage in MFK Fisher's Servant Forth. And a lot of you probably know it. It's a passage where she, um, it's like sort of like a random mini recipe for tangerines on the radiator. And uh, she puts them out, you know, her, her instructions are, you know, lay your tangerines on a piece of newspaper, let them dry, they get like hot and plump, and then leave them out on the windowsill so they get cold. 
and the skin becomes like as thin as Chinese enamel. And so really beautiful and idiosyncratic and personal and non-flashy. And I really love how it's just this intimate moment that, um, that we all have. We all have our secret eatings, as MFK Fisher calls it. You're, you just reminded me of a moment in A Movable Feast by Ernest Hemingway where he's taking out uh, tangerines, actually, and uh, just eating them while writing in Paris. Anyway, um, so yeah, there's like all these different moments there that, um, and, and you know, when writing fiction, every little detail is there for a reason. So you have to do, you know, you have to wonder about that. Um, okay, so my first question is for you, Jessica. Okay. Um, you know, let's be real. Uh, reading about some of the most sensory descriptions of delicious foods is kind of like reading uh, a trashy romance novel. Um, do you think that, you know, you, the title of your book really captures that food horror um, is the title of her book. Yeah. Um, and like, do you think My that... I love that. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. We're all food horrors. It's a, we can claim that. Um, do you think that food is a metaphor for sex? Um, yes and no. I mean, I think, so I, I will preface it that despite the title of my book, there isn't that, I mean, it's not like erotica or anything. I think there's like not, there's not a little bit of sex or not a lot of sex. It's like just the right amount, uh, I think. Um, so I would say, you know, food is interesting because it's very personal. And there aren't a lot of professions out there where you're really getting like that intimate with your client. Um, I mean, you're physically, when you cook something for someone, they're actually, like, physically, like, taking it within themselves, not to get, like, too explicit about it. Um, so, for me, <laughs> yeah, um, so for me, food is very sensual. It appeals to a lot of the senses, and obviously, sex does that, too. But for me, sex is about a lot of other things, too. It's about... Um, beauty and class and power and finding yourself and projecting um, an image of who you want to be. So for me, it wasn't necessarily about sex, but it was about everything that sex is also about in, in, in a larger sense. Right. So it's like everything that makes, uh, you know, drives someone's, um, I don't know, lust, perhaps. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of things can do that, but, you know, food, sex, career, you know, it's, it's all sort Ambition. of wound up yeah. in the same thing, yeah. Um, Helen, I want to talk to you next, because your book uh, is hilarious, by the way, and um, it, it sort of is, uh, it takes food to, in a really different direction, I think, than <laughs> what we were just discussing. Um, for instance, the first line of the first story of your book is... Inspired by Beyonce, I stallion walk to the toaster. <laughs> and I, I just remember, like, this moment where you said, uh, you know, you, the, the, the character was pumping a salad spinner like a CPR dummy and sweat, breaking into sweat. Um, yeah, so this is not really the glamorous side of food. Um, I, I would love to hear about, you know, what does is, what is food project about uh, your character's yearning? Um, in a lot of them, they're sort of trying to up their food game to impress their husbands. Um. I think food is the source of power. Um, a lot of insults come from a character insulting another character's food. Uh, there's a story called Hello, Welcome to Book Club, and the host of the book club controls the book club by... Um, 
controlling what everybody brings in terms of food, and she identifies each woman by what they eat. Um, and then there's another story called um, How to Be a Grown-Ass Lady, uh, where one of the rules is when a dinner party guest says your meatloaf looks like a football, don't tell the woman that her husband is obviously gay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sense of, uh, I think, power in the book. Definitely, yeah, cooking, too, and um, trying to kind of practice your yeah, craft. A, I, I, myself, for a very, very long time, and if you ask me outside of this room, what do I do, I will say housewife. So a lot of my life is alone preparing the food. Uh, and so sometimes that can be a very cathartic experience, strangling uh, frozen spinach, if you like. <laughs> I love that description. Um, so, Stephanie, um, actually, the title of your book nods to a line from Sappho, and it's also paired by a quote by Briette Savarin in the epitaph for Sweet Bitter. Um, both of these quotes comment on the ability of taste to evoke both pleasure and pain. I thought that was really interesting. Um, so we've talked a little bit about the pleasures of food, um, but what, what do you think are the dangers or the pitfalls of a foodie obsession? Um, well, so I guess that arc between the sweet and the bitter or the pleasure to the pain is really the arc of the entire novel. And when my character gets into that world, and I worked in the restaurant industry for a long time and had some similar experiences to her, when you fall in love with that world, you really, your focus narrows and you lose perspective. And by losing that perspective, you lose balance as well. So that's like any obsession is a little bit dangerous that way. Um, you know, my character's also 22, and that's a huge part of her experience of the restaurant industry. I don't think that everyone experiences the food industry the same way with the not sleeping and the not eating complete meals. And at one point, she says that this job just makes it impossible for her to take care of herself. So the highs of it are learning about oysters and the appellations of Burgundy and the intimacies of friendship and desire, but the lows of it are at a very basic level, she's almost always falling apart. Um, and I think when you have, when you start to open yourself up to tasting the way that she does, to paying attention in the, to the world in that way, it's hard to shut yourself down to any experience. So I use those two quotes because her navigation of the sweet and the bitter, the pleasure and the pain, is, is how she grows up, essentially. Yeah, I love the, you know, exploring the darker sides of the, the food industry. And how many people have worked in the restaurant industry? You guys know exactly what yeah, this is all about. Everyone knows. Okay, everybody knows. <laughs> it's also just um, moving to New York City at 22 mm-hmm. where you, you don't know what's good for you or what's bad for you yet. And she goes into it through her palate, but that's something that all of us have gone through. I'm 45, and I still don't know what's good for me and what's bad for me in New York. <laughs> the ongoing. And I moved here at 22. <laughs> ongoing investigation. <laughs> um, looking forward to the sequel, then. <laughs> um, so, okay. So, incidentally, uh, we're all women here on this panel. Woohoo! Uh, 
You know, Helen, your book clearly pokes fun at traditional female roles of domesticity and uh, how food plays into that. But I'm curious how the other two authors um, might feel about, you know, their female main characters' relationships with food. Does it it transcend these traditional female roles or does it sort of, um, does the legacy suggest a close relationship with food? Yeah, I mean, I have to say I didn't totally think about gender in my book, but thinking about it uh, in retrospect, I think there are maybe some gendered aspects to it. Um, So in the beginning of my story, so the story is, you know, a girl secretly writes a New York Times restaurant review because the real critic has lost a sense of taste. So she's leading this double life. Um, You know, she has grad school problems and, like, roommate and boyfriend problems, and then she also has an expense account at Bergdorf, is going to all these, like, four-star dinners and lunches. Um, so in the beginning of the book, she, uh, she knows herself through her cooking. She's a home cook. And in the beginning, that's what she has. And in the end, you know, without spoiling it, that's how she finds herself again. And in the middle, there's a lot, you know, there's the allure of the glamour, of fame, of, of seeing your words in the New York Times. And, you know... I didn't think of it, okay, well, home cooking is, you know, a women's sphere. That's where she feels the most herself. It was just very personal to her, but sort of looking back at it, she's coming back to the home to herself. Um, But other than that, you know, similar to to Stephanie's book, it's about a young woman who moves to New York City, and she's finding herself. And so that sometimes means coming up in a man's world, but it's also, you know, coming up against yourself, and, you know, dealing with your own demons. Um, So I was writing, this book is set in 2006, and once again, my uh, protagonist, Tess, is quite young, but I really saw her as emblematic of this generation of kids that were born in the the 80s, like the heyday of microwaves and fast food, and there's this massive disconnect. And I think because we're in this food bubble in New York, I mean, again, it's been 10 years, and it's a totally different environment. But back in 2006, the the New York dining scene was a a bubble that the rest of the world wasn't necessarily participating in. Um, And so for her, cooking never factors into it. To eat means to go out, and just like for some people today, to eat means to order in. Um, And in the last 10 years, the return to home cooking, I mean, that was a whole new world for me. I was similar to my protagonist in that way. Um, And that kind of domestic sphere and the nesting and getting the right kitchen tools and the right wine glasses and making the beer at home, that feels all like it just started happening. But I had no connection to it at 22. I mean, it's just like you can't see. how I'd say that's a leap from traditional female roles. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can't see, I think, when you move to the city that someday someone's going to walk into your home and you're supposed to feed them. And you also can't imagine that you're going to have a home. Mm-hmm. So in my novel, there's like definitely a disconnect there. Interesting. Interesting to explore. Helen, did you want to add anything about that? Like, Do you think that your work in this satire sort of um, pushes along the progression of female roles in society? It's so funny. Or- uh, and I thank you, <laughs> but people keep banting about the word satire. 
It was never my intention for it to be a satire. Um, That's what it said on the books. Please, I I say thank you to whatever anybody throws my way. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Um, So I grew up in Alabama. Um, At one point, my mother went to law school at 40, but before that, she was a housewife. Her mother was a housewife. Her mother was a housewife. And I moved here at 22 and worked my ass off, you know, and stayed up until 2 in the morning and all of that for many, many, many years. And then quit um, probably 10 years ago and reverted to a very comfortable, enjoyable life as a housewife. So it never left my realm of reality, um, this domestic life of come over to my house. And even when I, my house was a studio apartment with one table in it and I slept on a egg cart mattress, I still fed you. Maybe it was a meatloaf that looked like a football, (laughs) Um, but it was still very much in my nature um, to, you know, play that, you know, I don't know if play is the right word. That's just my nature. Whether it's um, out of fashion or not, that's, that's what it is. That's fabulous. Um, it is fabulous. <laughs> you got to also check out Helen's alter ego on Twitter, What I Do All Day. Um, it's, it's really funny. It's satire, I swear. That okay, thank Twitter you. profile is satire. <laughs> okay, I'm saying it is. Thank you. Um, so, okay, so I guess who do you think that your books, because my next question, I want to talk more about the, sort of the issues of genre um, and food as a genre. So maybe uh, to back up, like, who do you hope your books appeal to? Like, what's your audience that you were thinking of? Well, I'm asked this, and the answer is women. (laughs) I see one, two, three men in the audience. Congratulations. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Um, uh, But, uh, you know, I I hear that a lot um, on panels. Uh, Women want, women writers want their work to appeal to um, you know, men and women, and I never had men in my mind when I wrote the book. I wrote the book for women. That's who, that's who reads. That's who's in this audience. That's who I am. And um, that's right. That's right. That's worth a woo. Own it. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's what I did. I wrote for women, all ages from, you know, I would say 13 to 93. Right on. Um, yeah, and I would say I wrote for people like me, and, I, and, I, and I'm a woman, too, so it was sort of, like, incidental, and so for me, I wanted to, you know, I really love food, I love reading food blogs, and, like, keeping up on, like, restaurant gossip, and then I also love, like, page-turning novels, and so I put those two together, so it's kind of like, you know, young metropolitan people who are interested in food. Um, But then once I started working on it more, it became a coming of age. And I realized, and then I started hearing from readers that said, you know, they don't live in New York City. They live in Kentucky. I mean, the other day I Skyped uh, into a Kentucky book club and they like really loved it and they really connected with it. And I'm like, that, that is awesome too. So, you know, I try to be, I wrote what was true to myself. um, not thinking about the market. I think you don't want to get like a business person but, like, devil on your shoulder. Um, and, and in actuality, you know, it has a somewhat broad appeal, but sort of focusing on, like, young women in cities. That's a really good point. Leave your people to do that stuff, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. I, 
I think you write the book that you yourself want to read, and I've been hearing writers say that my whole life, but having gone through the experience of writing a book, I can't imagine being alone in the dark with that thing and trying to think, like, what genre is this going to fall under? Yeah. How, are, how are we going to market this? Who's my audience right now? I think that in order to ground yourself through, like, the madness that is writing a book and publishing a book, you have to be certain that you wrote the book that you yourself would just die over. You know, and it's not, it's not a perfect novel, but I think I took, I think I wrote something that I would like to read, and then my wonderful team does the rest. I don't know anything about that. I mean, we've all been through this. Um, you know, uh, when my first um, memoir came out, and uh, I remember cringing about how the teams were, like, sort of skewing it for various different purposes. It's, it's interesting. So, um, not that they did a bad job. I'm happy. I'm happy. It's cool. Um, you know, for many, to attach a certain genre to your work is sort of like this stigma. A lot of people try to avoid that and say, you know, for instance, if you're a science fiction writer, you, uh, some people might be like, well, no, I write serious literature that happens to deal with science. You know, and it's, it's, the genre thing is sort of, um, I guess, seen as less so, I, I don't know, in literature. Um, so I'm curious about how you might feel if your books were skewed to this food genre. How comfortable you might be about that. I'll, I'll start. Um, so it's like an interesting moment in publishing because you want your book in as many hands as possible. That's the whole point. So you can call it whatever you want. You can slap any label on it and I'm thrilled. Um, but I do think that you have to separate a little bit from the process of writing and, and what you made because that thing, to say, this is a food book, this is a restaurant book, this is a woman's book, it feels so reductive. And the, in the initial stages, you're like, wait, no, no, it's a novel. Um, and I do think that's important to hold on to because oftentimes the labels are trends. And this is such a powerful trend and such an incredible moment for food but the, the fiction is the key the novel is the key part and um yeah so grateful for any label I guess but mm-hmm. <laughs> but trying to hold on to the fact that the best books kind of transcend all of that curious what you guys think of the women's genre, women's fiction does anybody have strong feelings about that oh sorry <laughs> Uh, well, I, so so my book, it you know, if you go into Barnes and Noble, it's under fiction, um, and they mix all kinds of fiction: literary fiction, women's fiction, science, maybe not science fiction. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think genres are helpful in the sense that it uh, sets up expectations for readers, um, and when you're in like marketing and PR mode, you know who to target. Um, but I also think that genre. Unless, like, you're writing, like, uh, science fiction or romance and you're really going into that niche, all other literature is pretty broad. So, and the thing about food, it's not like a detective novel where um, there are certain tropes. And, you know, it's like like an episode of Law and Order. You know what to expect. Food Food is just a theme. It really says nothing. It can be satire. It can be a thriller. It can be women's fiction. It can be a mystery. Um, so I would say that for me, the designation of women's fiction has been good. It, hel- it helps sort of pull focus. 
Um, but it doesn't, but it doesn't, I would say, okay, so for, also for my book, uh, I was really hands-on with the cover. So, uh, you know, the designation of a category, it exists with press, with the cover art, with the conversations you start on social media. So I don't think, like, women's fiction or any sort of genre is any sort of, like, uh, your typecast for life or anything. And Helen, did you have any feelings about genre attached to your work? I love genre. <laughs> um, I myself am in a classic trashy book club. So <laughs> um, I, I, you can call it what you like. Um, you know, I wrote a book club story that is a horror story. Mm-hmm. I wrote a story about dead doorman that's a love story. So you call it anything you want, and I will happily show up. With a meatloaf. That is so clever. Um, so I, I think it's interesting, though, uh, Jessica, you mentioned that, you know, food fiction or women's fiction, it's more like a broad theme. There's no formula yet to be, you know, maybe there will be after this. I don't know. But there's no, like, you know, who done it, and, you know, like, set up of so-and-so, the tall, dark stranger. Um, Anyway, um, I, I guess it's about time to go on to questions from the audience. Who here might have a question? Um, Kim, do you want to? Do you want a little Q&A? I can bring the, I can walk okay. the microphone. Cool. Any questions? There's one right there. Okay. Hi. Um, I want to know if... Talk into the mic. Oh, okay. Um, I want to know what food experiences or food imagery um, drives your inspiration Um, like I said, I really am a housewife, so I write what I know. Um, so the first story is called What I Do All Day, because that is often what I'm asked, and it's about um, preparing for a party. So there is a lot of talk about uh, hors d'oeuvres. You know, I toothpick, I pinwheel, I casserole, I bacon. <laughs> Those are all verbs. So I write what I know. Um, for me, I... I have a kind of insane person's cookbook collection. Um, And so I have like my aspirational books, my kind of restaurant books that I just will never be able to make anything in there, but I like to look at the pictures. And then I have the books that are really close to my heart. And to piggyback on the MFK Fisher, who's just like one of the most phenomenal food writers of all time. um, Something I find like MFK Fisher and Elizabeth David and, Patience Gray, the, the food writers from the mid-20th century, so inspiring. And there's no photos, but it's the way they use food and narrative together that I, I find very inspiring. Um, I'm often inspired by restaurant reviews, and so that was like a central thing in my book. And what I like about it, it's like, it's like that saying... You know, writing about music is like dancing about architecture. Um, and I like that challenge of, like, of how do people write about another art. And for that reason, I, I read reviews of, like, of all types of art, uh, but food in particular, because I like, you know, so when I sit down for a meal, I'm not reviewing it in the sense of a restaurant reviewer. I'm trying to think, well, how do, how do I describe this? So I'm always sort of, like, doing that calculus. Do we have time for one more? Let's do someone all the way over there. Hi, 
So you're all inspired by your personal experiences. How did you create characters that weren't like completely, how did you make that disconnect between this is a character and this is my real life? Oh, I think it's an easy question. <laughs> All our books, I mean, I feel like we're, we're probably very similar to the narrator. No. No. <laughs> I you said it wasn't satire. Well, I tell you, you know, again, this, I did a short story collection, so some are super close to home and some are not. So, for example, um, I live in an Upper East Side co-op apartment that has 18 doormen in it. I, in that building, there are a lot of women who never leave their apartments, uh, the doorman called them vampires. And, um, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I, I could, I'm like two smoothies away from becoming one of those ladies. Uh, and so I thought to myself, you know, what if somebody was killing these doormen? And she did. Um, so I don't do that. Although now some of the doormen have read the book and my packages come up right away. <laughs> Uh, so it's just sort of, you know, it's just like taking an idea. Like I watched the end of Breaking Bad where, you know, the last season where, um, I mean, that's a cooking. Uh, <laughs> there's that moment where he, Walter White, gets into the van to take him into uh, protective, you know, witness protection sort of type of thing. And I just thought to myself, well, that would be interesting if, the person who got into that van was a six-year-old toddler and tiara contest, uh, you know, pageant person. And so I thought, what would it be like to, um, you know, traffic, for lack of a better word, young pageant girls to better homes? You know, I don't do that. <laughs> so it's just like taking an idea and, and running with it. Um, you know, I think you start with what you know definitely, but if you're writing fiction, um, it quickly takes on a life of its own. With my protagonist, um, I actually don't remember what it was like to be 22. I was like pretty drunk. I didn't sleep that much. Um, I have a few notes. I have a few songs that trigger some things, but she, um, she started from a few facts about my life. But then when you're writing, it's, I, and I say it's a hard question because I don't know what happens. I don't know how these people come to us and start speaking. Um, but it's like you're in, a, you're in a tunnel and all of a sudden they're talking to you and they're nothing like me. They have elements, but they're nothing. They, yeah, they end up very far away. Um, yeah, so my main character is similar to me to the extent that, you know, we're both writers, we moved to New York, we really love food, you know, but, but the, the difference is that, like, I'm really, like, cautious and boring, and <laughs> she's not. Um, you wouldn't want to read a book about me. So, you know, in my mind, I sort of divine these situations, like, oh, well, what if she got this, like, internship, and the New York Times restaurant critic was, like, trying to get her on his side, da 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 And so, for me, you know, it was kind of, like, maybe similar character traits to me with sort of, like, a juiced-up scenario surrounding it. Sounds like a good way to go. Um, I, I guess that's about all the time we have, but do stick around, hang out, talk to these ladies. Um, they'll be signing their books outside. Um, you can pre-order Stephanie's book because it's not physically there. So 
I thought that was really great. I hope that all inspires you. Thanks for listening to this special episode from Heritage Radio. And tune in to Eat Your Words on Sundays at 1 p.m. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.